0: Welcome back to the Failing Forward podcast. I am so excited to introduce to you guys all the way from London, UK, Dave Gibson. He is a sleep, a sleep specialist. He's been working over 20 years in healthcare, providing advice, support, and intervention across a wide range of conditions to promote good sleep patterns and quality sleep. His background is definitely in all things wellness. He's worked as a hypnotherapist, an a naturopath, an osteopath, and has multiple degrees in osteopathy and food science. He works both online and face-to-face, treating a range of conditions from back and neck pain as an osteopath to low self-esteem, overeating, addictions, and anxiety as a hypnotherapist, and he specializes in sleep advice and support. His extensive background and in in expertise in wellness enables him to bring a wealth of knowledge to solving sleep problems. He has launched his well-regarded sleep blog, the Sleepsite.co.uk in 2014. He's worked with the National Press and BBC National and Local Radio, along with major commercial stations. He's also worked on BBC Strictly Come Dancing as their osteopath. So that's a fun little fact. Um, yeah. but we're going to go ahead and really dive into all things sleep today, Dave. Welcome to the Feeling Forward podcast, and thanks for being here with us today.
1: Uh, my pleasure. You just Thought with all that, lot like, I should get a good night's sleep, but I don't. <laughs> I have, to, I have to really work at it.
0: There you go. So what got you into the sleep? What, what, how did this passion come up? Tell me about your journey.
1: I'm rubbish at sleeping. I just, you know, I, and I realized when I became an osteopath, I quit advertising because of the stress. Mm-hmm. And when I became an osteopath, a lot of my clients, because of technology, because of how we allow technology to expand into 24 hours, a lot of my clients were, were really struggling with sleep. And I was one, I was the same. So I started researching it Oh, over 20 years ago. So, you know, getting into it, looking at it, working out where the pitfalls were. And at that time, there was very little sleep science going around. So, you know, it's only really in the last 10 years that more and more is now understood about why we sleep and how to get a better night's sleep. So it's really because I was struggling and I needed to, to make sure that I was getting a good night's sleep.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the people that are listening right now are struggling with sleep as well. I think many of us, especially if you're working a high stress job or like you said, you have technology all around you, TV, laptops, computers, your phone, right? These things are actually disrupting our sleep more than we give them credit. So let's kind of dive into some very, very key things that people can start working on right now today to help them improve their sleep and also creating a good sleep hygiene, creating a good sleep protocol so that we can find more natural ways to improve sleep than just having to take sleeping pills.
1: Well, the the thing that I always start with my clients is to sort of talk about if you have a little one, if you have a little baby, you, 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 you nurture them into a sleep routine. You take care of their sleep. You wouldn't dream of sort of adrenalizing a young baby or a young child just before they're about to sleep. You know, you wouldn't turn the music up. But, you know, that sort of care that we took with them, we seem to have thrown it out with the bathwater, the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to our sleep. We expect to be able to sort of do that, click our fingers and fall asleep. And we forget that, that sleep's something that you sort of have to, ease into your life rather than expect to be able to flick a light switch so you know when, when i start talking to people about sleep they, they really do not invest in it in the way that we would invest in a child's sleep you know we've, we've allowed it to sort of be put on the back burner and we're fitting our life sort of our sleep around our life rather than sort of putting sleep first in the whole sort of center of our well-being And, you know, it's it's now proven that if you if you get a bad night's sleep, all sorts of things go wrong. And yet there's still an attachment to being smart. If I could get away with less sleep, it's a really cool thing to do. You know, there's still a a lot of kudos and even masculinity attached to being underslept. You know, we had a prime minister called Margaret Thatcher back in the 80s who, you know, really, really sort of pushed it out there that she was great at undersleeping. So So did Donald Trump. You know, in, in the uh, election, he was sort of going, you know, I'm, I'm only sleeping five hours. Look at Sleepy Joe. He needs 10. So there's a lot of sort of resistance, if you like, to sleep. And it's really when, when I start off coaching people with sleep, it's look at your day, look at how you're approaching your day and look at what are you doing in the evening to allow yourself to have enough hours, both to ease to sleep with a sort of sleep routine and then get the eight, eight or so hours that we need. You know, it's recommended that we get to seven between seven and nine hours. Most people are getting under seven these days.
0: Yeah. And it's funny what you said the whole, you know, people give you kudos for not sleeping a lot. And when I was running my sales and marketing company, I know I was victim to that. I would brag about being able to operate off of four or five hours of sleep. I was like, yeah, like I'm only sleeping four or five hours, but I'm getting up early, going to the gym, doing this, doing that. And at the end of the day, all we're doing is we're burning the candle at both ends we are literally hurting our immune system we're hurting our ability to be you know functioning cognitively at our peak right so when you get more rest, you get more sleep. You just allow your body to recover. You allow your organs to recover. You allow all the bodily systems to recover so that you could be operating optimally. And that's what we really want. We don't want to be operating at 70% or 50%. We want to be doing the things that we need to do to allow our body to rest and digest, to allow our body to recover so that we can be the best version of ourselves, not just the okay version of ourselves. And that's why important sleep is we need to make it a priority when we just do. And I love what you said about sleep hygiene. You're so right with that analogy with the the newborn baby. We are creating a routine for our newborn to let them know, hey, it's, we're going to start to dim down the lights. We're going to turn down the noise. We might turn on a sound machine, right? We might do a bath at the same time every night. And and we'd go through these routines with newborns to let them know, Hey, trigger, 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 trigger. It's bedtime coming up, but we don't tend to do the same things ourselves as
1: adults. Well, there's three sorts of people that I treat. There's people with sort of genuine sleep disorders. And then there's people with disordered sleep, and that disordered sleep then breaks into two sections. Sleep disorders would be something like sleep apnea, where people are snoring, waking themselves up a lot, can't breathe through their nose properly. And that's something that needs a medical intervention or restless legs. And then you've got disordered sleep. That would mean somebody that's like you were when you were running your sales company, consciously depriving yourself of sleep and not worried about it. And then you've got the other extreme where people really would like a lot more sleep, but because they've sort of got into an, a package of insomnia, they lie awake worried at night. And there's, there's a very different approach by both those types of people. The sort of person that you wear doesn't really aware, not really aware that they are sleep deprived. So the adrenaline just keeps you going and eventually you hit a brick wall. That sort of approach... It's a little bit harder to deal with actually than, than the person who isn't sort of doing so well. The person sort of in COVID, I'm treating a lot more people that are a lot more anxious. They're actually easier to deal with because they know they've got a sleep problem. People that people are actively underslept and getting away with it and loving it, they don't know they've got a problem. They're a lot harder to convince because they're functioning well. They, it's a bit like when you deprive yourself of water, Your thirst center turns off. You don't know that you're dehydrated. The same with sleep. You get into this zone where the body just sort of goes with the flow up to the point that you crash. And then you're in trouble because all of your systems, your immune system has gone. Your your detox of the brain's gone. Your cognitive processes are down. You've got a higher risk of cancer. And then you've got all the long-term bits. In fact, if you're trying to lose weight, it's a lot harder to do so if you're underslept than if you properly slept. The body thinks it's in crisis when you undersleep, and it sw- swaps the hormones around. So the hormone that tells you you're full doesn't work. The hormone that tells you you're empty overworks. So you get these pangs of hunger for, for carbohydrate and sugary food. And in fact, if you are exercising and want to lose weight and you are losing sleep, your body will take the energy out of your muscles and leave you with your fat stores. So you actually lose muscle if you're training hard and trying to lose weight when you are underslept and you, you create, you keep the belly flat going because the body's thinking that you're under crisis. There's no animal on the planet apart from human beings that actively deprive themselves of sleep. You know, and if you, if you think about it, if I'm a caveman and I overeat, I can store fat. I can put it into my belly. I can put it in my adipose tissues. And that gives me an energy store. If I'm a caveman and I think I'm going on a trek and I wanna lose sleep and I wanna sort of keep going for 10 days, I don't have the same store of sleep. Biology didn't give us an ability to bank sleep. We weren't meant to to not sleep every night. We were meant to get between seven and nine hours. That's what we're pre-programmed to do. And it's because we get the, the growth hormone, it's because we have the brain detoxification and our memories, all of our learning occurs at night The the sort of transfer of, of short to long term memory that occurs as we sleep. And when we dream, all of our creative thinking is coming to play and those processes get fragmented if you don't get enough sleep. So it's really, really vital that we get the full sort of seven to nine hours, whatever we're biologically programmed to do.
0: Yeah. And I want to dive into what you were saying with the nervous system, right? We have our central nervous system that's broken down into two parts. We have the sympathetic nervous system, which is going to be your, your survival, right? And then you have your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest. And I want to repeat that rest and and digest. So people that are looking to have healthy digestive systems, and like you said, with the weight loss, it's very important that you're getting that adequate sleep because it's in that sleep that you're tapping into your parasympathetic nervous system that is allowing you to rest, is allowing you to digest, is allowing you to recover, is allowing you to function at optimal. Most people are not getting enough sleep. So they're constantly in that sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight, that go, 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 that survive, right? And when you're in sympathetic, digestion is turned off, recovery is turned off, and your body is literally in survival mode. So we need to really start to balance out those two sides of the nervous system. It's okay to be sympathetic sometimes because we want to have that kick to be able to just go and get things done. But if you're constantly in that sympathetic and you're never tapping into that parasympathetic rest and digest that's where we're starting to have uh, a lot of issues and it's a huge issue um, especially here in the states and i'm sure it's probably similar in europe as well
1: it's been on the increase with covid 40 40 to 50 percent of people in london and in the uk are sleeping less well than they were doing before lockdown and it is that adrenalization when you look at the body systems the body is very good at switching on sympathetic. You know that that ability to, to to have your fight or flight. If you think about it, if you were looking at an alligator wondering, I wonder if it's going to eat me, yes or no, you're gone. So your sympathetic has to click in, quick in, click in really quickly. I'm losing my teeth. And what happens is that we are very good at using that system. We get used to using it. It adrenalizes us. It keeps it going. It gives us the buzz. You know, when you when we're on um, sort of social media at night, that is adrenalizing, too. And the problem is that sleep is a parasympathetic um, nervous activity. So you've got the, the sort of sympathetic going full blast and you want to get into parasympathetic. Now, caveman style, you'd have had the sun going down. So you'd have had darkness, which is the biggest single trigger of sleep. It produces melatonin. Then you'd have a decrease in temperature as the sun went down. Our body temperature is designed to go down as we sleep. And you have a kick in of, of, of a brain wave that is much more parasympathetic than sympathetic. We go towards this delta wave. So we're sort of going down a very gentle slope to sleep rather than trying to sort of jump off a cliff and get to sleep. And what they're now learning is that, that part of that sort of process you can encourage with things like yoga, nidra, relaxation. And a lot of these things are about getting the body to relax, but also slowing down the breath. A lot of these meditations to to do with breathing out longer than we breathe in. And that encourages the the parasympathetic to kick in rather than the sympathetic. So there's a lot of techniques that we can use to, to sort of aid us getting to sleep. But the idea of being able to switch our head off like a light bulb if you can get to sleep in less than 30 seconds, you're sleep deprived. It's not that you're good at getting to sleep. You know, it should take us around 10 minutes to get to sleep on an, on an ideal basis. That's because, again, prehistorically, we'd have been looking around, checking whether the, the the area was safe to get to sleep. So our brains wouldn't naturally just sort of click off. And in fact, you know, they've, they've looked at people that, that sort of take phones into the bedroom, use phones in bed, far more likely to get disrupted sleep than people who don't. There's a real sort of use of technology right before bed problem that, that that provokes a an increase in blue light, which you can block with the dimmers and the and the blue light glasses. But more importantly, there's a sort of adrenalization that you were talking about into the sympathetic nervous system. In fact, they did some research recently in Tel Aviv University, and those of us who use apps close to bedtime, sixty percent more likely to grind our teeth.
0: Interesting.
1: When they asked the researchers why, they said, well, there's a fear of missing out. You know, the brain expects to sort of be connected to the phone, be connected to our social media. And the idea is that we, we put boundaries around ourselves. So one of the things that I teach people a lot is to look at how you use social media, how you use your computer, when, when are you off it and when you on it and try and be very ordered with it. So, for example, um, are you going to use it before breakfast? If so, why? You know, are you gonna have a detox around the meal times? Do you have a period at night when you've got no mobiles on before you go to bed or no technology on? How do you use it so you can connect offline as well as online? That's a really important part of sleep hygiene.
0: That's such a good point. I'm glad you bring that up because we, we start to think about what are some of the things that we can be doing if we're having a hard time falling asleep? Well, one thing is just staying away from our phones. And the reason for that, it's going to, number one, it's just going to increase your brain activity, right? So it's just signaling you to be more awake, more alert, you're thinking more instead of relaxing and just getting ready for for sleep. But the second thing is people don't realize how much light is being given off by your devices And it's not just our devices, it's our lights in our house. So if you have LED lights and those lights are on midway or higher at night, you're sending a signal to your brain that it's still daytime. So your body's natural circadian rhythm is being thrown off. And when most people, like you said, the caveman, right, they look outside, it's starting to get dark, it's starting to get cooler, like we get all these signals that it's time for rest. Now we're the lights in our homes, the TV going, our phones, we're getting all these lights back into our eyes, which is sending that signal to that optic nerve that sends a signal to the brain that it's still daylight outside. So we're all confused. We're all backwards.
1: The, um, the use of light is probably the thing in the last year, I would say that there's been more research done on. And it's, it's the difference between the daylight and the night light that's important. So in the morning, if you can get outside for half an hour and don't put sunglasses on, get your, light, get your light exposure really early, then the brain knows that it's daytime and the cortisol comes out at daytime. So the two things go together. Then at night, your brain's expecting a decrease in light. So again, you could go outside, look at the light at dusk. And then when you come back inside, switch all of your lights from, from bright incandescent lights down to sort of the, the sort of red lights that you can get that help with dimming. If you do want to use a phone, put it on the dimmer. You've got dimmer switches on most of them. And you can also um, put something called Flux on all of your equipment, FLUX. That's a free um, filter. And you can use blue light glasses. But what what they've what they've now shown is that if you interrupt, your nighttime sort of decrease in light by looking at a mobile phone, you can block melatonin for up to three hours. So Mm. it becomes a lot harder to get to sleep because of the blue light. And then you've got the adrenalization on top. You've got the cognitive part of being connected to devices, which is stimulating. And when you look at the brainwaves of them, you know people's brainwaves do become more active when they're using technology late at night.
0: Interesting. What are your thoughts on some of these red light therapies, such as a red light sauna or a red light, like a juve therapy system? What are your thoughts on using things like that to help kind of mitigate some of the blue light?
1: Infrared saunas, I I love for for the whole body in terms of achiness and getting the bones better and all, all the rest of the sort of wellness that it does. But certainly dim lights at night is a key part to it. So infrared is a far better light to have from a, from a sleep point of view by a massive amount.
0: Awesome. And then some of the red light therapy, like there's panels or people can get these little mobile devices that emit the red light and it's red light. That's some of it's constant. Some of it's more in a wave. There are different ways that they emit it. Do you think that these devices help with offsetting some of the blue lights? Are they helpful?
1: In general, they're better for general wellness, but I think in terms of offsetting blue light, you're really looking at the filters i.e. a blue light filter that's re- re- reducing that specific filter. So if you are using technology, be really mindful of putting the filters on the devices that you've got and putting flux on. So it's that specific wavelength that you're after that blue light and the blue light that comes off these screens literally mimics the morning sun. Interesting. So, and the way the, the way the body works, the way the circadian rhythm works is it's looking for the difference between bright and dark so it's looking for that when you look at how the human species evolved we evolved around the equator so that species would have had 12 hours a day 12 hours a night and it would have been really distinct it would have been really very dark and very light and when you look at melatonin it's a very clear hormone it gives you a signal that you need sleep in terms of the desire for sleep You've got a a buildup of something called adenosine in the body. As we start to burn energy in the brain, we build up a byproduct called adenosine. That's what caffeine blocks. So it, it sort of removes that sort of chronology of I've been awake longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. As adenosine builds through the day, you get to a point where you need sleep. That then combines with melatonin that gives you the desire to sleep. And you get that sort of sense of nodding off. That's your sleep window starting. So that bit where you're sort of watching the TV and all of a sudden you're fast asleep, that's the bit when you should have been in bed because that's when your melatonin is combined with your adenosine to give you that nudge to be nodding off. But what happens is when you look at the, the production of melatonin, if you think about it, we're now a species that lives way, way north and way, way south. So we're getting days where we're getting four or five hours of dark and the rest is sunlight. That wasn't normal for the species. Our melatonin was designed to be pr- sort of produced in the dark, and we were very much a species that needed a lot of light and a lot of dark. And that that means that if you get out in the day, you can strengthen your circadian rhythm. You can get a better night's sleep by getting sunlight, and it also gives you the vitamin D, which is another great hormone, sorry, great mineral to have. Sorry, I'm saying it again, great vitamin to have. I'll get there in the end. It, 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 it aids sleep, it aids bones, and it's part of your immune system. So getting outside in the early in the early morning is a big part of sleep hygiene.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I was talking to Dr. Phil about this the other day as well, and the importance of that morning sun. Like, if I know I want my natural wake up time to be 6 a.m., Then getting outside right around that 6 a.m. marker and allowing my eyes to see the sun, right, the sun to hit my skin on as much exposed skin as possible, 30 minutes, not only does it start to boost the natural production of vitamin D, but it also is sending a signal that it's time to wake up and my body's circadian rhythm is starting, cortisol starts and It just gets everything going in the right way it's also great for grounding so for people that are dealing with stress and anxiety that morning sun is very grounding getting outside in nature very grounding it just helps with getting everything started off on the right foot the other good thing that you said earlier that i wanted to go back to is even as it's getting darker in the day right like at dusk or sunset or even before you want to go to bed, getting outside when there's moonlight or not moonlight is just sending that signal again to your body that, oh, it's dark now, it's nighttime now, which is also going to help with that natural setting of the circadian rhythm. So getting outside just in general is going to send the right signals to your body that A, it's morning, B, it's night, let's get the circadian rhythm going.
1: If you can do that regularly, if you can do that seven days a week, it would be better. But, you know, we we have a lifestyle now that's getting more and more fragmented. I was talking to somebody the other day. Traditionally, we had the sort of five work days, two weekends. Now we've got five work days, which are split in, some in the office, some at home, working from home, and then some in the office. Regularity is the key to your circadian rhythm. You know, the more regularly you can keep your sleep, the easier it is to get to sleep. So trying to get up and wake up at the same time, trying to go to bed at the same time. And if you can't do that, at least do one of them every time. So if you can't sort of say, okay, I'm going to have a late night one night and an early night the other night, then get up at the same time seven days a week and catch your sleep up with a nap. It's far better to do that than to bounce your body clock around because you produce something called social jet lag, which mimics jet lag. If you think about um, what happens to school kids, for example, they stay up late studying. The body clock actually makes them stay up later than we do. And then you've got the studying and the social media. So they're depriving themselves in sleep Monday to Friday. And then they catch up at the weekends. So you might have sort of a, a teenager with five or six hours sleep in the, in the weekday. And then they might have 10 or 12 on a, on a weekend. That produces social jet lag and it knocks all of your body systems out of sync. You know, if you think about what happens when you go on a long call cool trip, you don't feel great. That's actually happening when you bounce your body clock around. You get used to it, but it's still the same process. And then on a Sunday night, you're going to find it hard to get to sleep to start the different cycle again. So always try and keep your sleep as regular as you can, and then go back to that routine, you know, the routine we were talking about with a baby. I like baths. I like, I like showers. I like heating the body up a little bit before I go to bed, but only with a warm bath because the body's designed to drop one degree centigrade as we sleep to initiate sleep. And that's why it's always harder to get to bed in the hot summer nights than the cold winter nights. You know, the the temperature of a bedroom needs to be about 16 to 18 degrees centigrade. That's quite cool. So a lot cooler than we would normally have it. And then once, once you get into that sort of sleep routine, things like reading a book, having a warm drink, um, valerian is a good herb, for example, for getting to bed. Valerian and hops—that what runs against caffeine. You know, caffeine we were talking about that switches adenosine off, and in terms of a, a sort of way of, of initiating sleep, valerian works the opposite way. It encourages sleep through that same receptor, and then things like having a you know a, a sort of an hour away from technology. In terms of helping you unwind, reading a book, doing something relaxing, doing yoga is great. Doing some meditation or just doing doing a hobby that allows you to be in the flow and gets you out of your your head and into your body would be great.
0: What are some of your favorite hobbies? Some of the ways that you get yourself into the flow?
1: Play the piano. Always played the piano, so that for me, you know, I'm off. I'm off in cloud cuckoo land. And, you know, I, I try and read boring books. I don't read books about sleep because they keep me <laughs> awake. But I try and, read, try and read a boring novel. Some people, you know, a lot of my clients use the TV. It, you know, th- there's some new research out recently about boring TV programs helping you get to sleep because they're not stimulating. They just become monotonous. The problem is to make sure you put them on a timer. So if you like using the, the TV to go to sleep, make sure... Something's going to switch it off because they have proven if you leave the TV on all all night, any light in your bedroom decreases the amount of sleep that you get. Mm -hmm. So whilst you might whilst you might love it to get to sleep, make sure somebody or something or somehow you switch it off.
0: Right. And I think all TVs now have a timer, right? So you can when you start to watch your show, just put that timer on to turn off in 30 minutes or go to sleep in an hour, whatever it is.
1: And I like I like the meditation apps. I think there's so many good ones out there. You know, yoga nidra is my favorite. It's a, you know, it's just a, a very very easy way of getting in the way of my head. And you know, and that's what, what you have got to do. You know, if you think about what we would have been doing prehistorically, we wouldn't have had access to to all these screens. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was a kid. I'm showing sure my age now. In the UK, we didn't have 24 hour TV. You know, TV used to stop at 10 o'clock at night. You know, what, what are we going to do? There's nothing to do. We may as well go to sleep. That's not the case anymore. You know, we, we're in a 24-7, 365 day a, w- a week, a year, boom. You can, have a, you can have your life 24 hours a day if you want it. You couldn't when I was young. So, you know, I used to get allowed late, late out to play, play the keyboards in bands. So I generated a pattern of being sleep deprived. I got used to being sleep deprived. So I've had to unlearn it. And also I've got my sleep genes of my mum. One of the things to consider when, you, when you're looking at sleep patterns is something called your chronotype. The chronotype is your biological body clock with regards to when you're predisposed to sleep. And what happens is, again, going back to that prehistoric tribe, if you, if you look at how do we look after a fire, if I can make some of the tribe go to bed early and some of the tribe go to bed late, I've got the fire covered for longer. And what we think is that on average, 60% of the tribe went to bed in the normal window, 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. 20% stayed up late, they're called night owls. 20% went to bed early, they're called morning larks. So the rest of us would have gone to bed when we get the normal sleep window, 10 to 12. But these guys and girls would have been sort of helping us keep the fire up. In modern society, Morning owls, morning larks don't have a problem because we get up to go to bed early. In, more, in modern society, night owls are the majority of people that I end up helping. Because people are going, look, I'm wide awake at two o'clock at night. How am I supposed to sort of get up at seven in the morning? You end. You have got an issue because, you know, perhaps you can talk to your boss and say, by the way, can I come in at 10? Or can I start work at 10 and work later? Because certainly, people's chronotypes or biology or sleep preferences is another big part of sleep and they've shown that even if you get eight hours if you're not in sync with your body clock those eight hours aren't as good as if you would have had them in terms of the quality so sleeping sleeping when you feel tired is really important and learning how to sleep when you're tired so giving yourself the opportunity to get bored if you think about it i don't i don't hear any of my teenage clients or my young kid clients ever talking about being bored you know kids don't get bored these days they Mm -hmm. don't have that okay my brain's doing nothing we keep our brain going 24 7 we're supposed to daydream the brain is designed to have a break too and we don't we just don't do it so when we come to night and we're trying to sort of switch that process off it's really hard so for a lot of people they don't know they're tired until they're actually crashing out It's going back to, to, you know, the the lifestyle that you had, Nico.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. One thing that you just said there, not everyone is supposed to be waking up at 6, 7 a.m. You're saying some people's body types and sleep types, they're meant to be sleeping later, like 8, 9, 10 a.m. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Well, I had had a patient the other day complaining that they were awake at 4 o'clock, like bang, 4 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, three o'clock to four o'clock, you do have a lot of functions that change over. Liver function starts to kick in and stuff. So some people do have hormonal changes that sort of wake them up at that time. However, this person was sort of going, you know, before, before my, my uh, partner moved in, I used to go to bed a lot earlier. And I said, so what sort of time? He said, well, I'd be asleep sort of nine o'clock at night. I said, well, what are you doing now? Well, I'm, wait- I'm going to bed with him and he sort of goes to bed half twelve. Okay, so he wakes up what? I said, well, he wakes up at eight. I said, but haven't you thought about you might actually be somebody that needs to go to bed earlier? Well, yeah, I can't go to bed with him then, can I? The answer is no, because her body clock was running on a, on a, an earlier schedule. She was a morning lark and he was a distinct night out. So she, when she was waking up at five and that was her old wake time, she'd go to bed at, at 9.30, she'd wake up at five. So she'd have a glorious night's sleep. Now she was trying to fit in with him. Yeah. And the whole schedule had been absolutely shredded for her.
0: Very, very interesting. So I'm sure there's someone that's listening right now that's saying, oh my gosh, that is so me and my partner, right? One of them needs to go to sleep earlier, one needs to go to sleep later how can these and a question that may be coming up is how am I going to make this work for my relationship like I need to have this time at the end of the day to spend with my loved one but if my body clock says go to sleep earlier his body clock stays up later how are they going to find that time together for the relationship
1: it's tricky you know some people do do sleep in different bedrooms now there is a sort of sleep divorce that's going on where people do sleep in different beds but they, they still make time they sort of put their schedules on one side and make time in the evening early on where everything's sort of put down and they sort of connect. So you, you, you plan it. You put it as part of your schedule and you plan for it rather than plan against it. And that's, that's what I come across a lot, which is sort of I don't have time to sleep. Well, why not? Well, I've got my job and then I've got the kids and then I've got a bit of me time and I've got a bit of him time and I've got six hours left. That's hard. So something has to give, you know, there's, there's, we are time poor, we are overworking. And certainly what I've found during lockdown is that people are elongating their hours. So they're doing a little bit of housework, a bit of childcare, a bit of this, bit of that. And all of a sudden their work schedule, it might be eight to 10 hours of work still, but they're starting at seven and they're finishing at 10. So, they, 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 so now I've got another problem is now my head's switched on. Now I think I'm working more and, and people have. For the majority of managers, people are working longer hours because they haven't cope with how to work Zoom and all the other things and coordinate. It's harder to coordinate online than it would have been in the office. So, you know, in the UK and in the States, people are working longer hours in some jobs and they're working shorter hours in others because they've locked the, the commute is the big thing that they've changed. So some people have taken their commute and put it into work. Some people have taken their commute and put it into childcare and doing the odd jobs and watching the TV. Mm-hmm. More, people haven't converted their, their commute to going out and doing a bit of exercise. In the UK, the majority of people have increased. They, they're, they're, they're watching a Netflix. So we've become a little bit more sedentary in the time that we've been given back. You know, and again, you know, exercise is one of the biggest influences of sleep. I get a lot of people coming, you know, I don't get enough deep sleep. You know, one, one, of the, one of the ways that people look at quality when they've got the trackers, Fitbit and all the rest of it, or one of the sleep apps, everybody looks at two things, deep sleep and REM sleep. Deep sleep is the bit that restores the body. REM sleep is the bit that theoretically restores the mind. And everybody's going, you know what, my deep sleep's gone down, my deep sleep's gone down. I go, okay, do more exercise. And when you look at the deep sleep and the amount of sleep that athletes get, So people like Fedra, Usain Bolt, they are all sleeping more than the average person, because when you exercise, your body needs to recover and it will give you more deep sleep. And that is the sleep that really when you feel knocked out. So people feel better if they get more deep sleep because it rejuvenates the body more.
0: Interesting. That's why we
1: need exercise.
0: And the REM sleep, like you said, it's good for the mind because that's where we're getting into the dreaming, right? All the dreams are happening during the REM, but it's great for creativity.
1: Absolutely. um, Leonardo da Vinci, who invented um, a lot of stuff, and Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb, used to set an alarm to wake themselves up in the middle of REM sleep and then write down all their ideas. And when 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 um, when you go through sleep, you go through cycles of sleep or sleep stages you have 90 minute cycles so when you when you sleep for seven and a half hours which is the average that we need you have five cycles of sleep so sleep starts off with light sleep then deep sleep and then REM sleep and not all stages are the same we get more deep sleep at the start of the night more REM sleep at the end so when you shortchange short, change yourself on sleep, it's the creativity, it's the cognitive processes that you lack, which is why, you know, you get outside the wrong side of the bed, you feel grumpy in the morning if you don't sleep enough. That's the brain part of it, the cognitive part of it. But during, during those processes, when we get REM sleep, when we dream, what happens when we dream is all of the memories from the day are being filed. Now, some of those memories will be unique. You've never had those before. So let's say a cat ran out when I'm driving home, I'll remember that. But if I'm driving the the same way home 24 seven, you know, all of those days in a row, I'm not going to remember that particular journey because it's not memorable. But what might happen is if I, if I get a cat running out of me, let's say it happened today. When I dream, I might dream of a cat that I had as a child. So what happens is your brain's putting new memories and old memories together. And then I might, remember a song by Cat Stevens, or I remember the Cat in the Hat book. So we get images of the day that then link in with other memories from other times. And if we're thinking about something, you know, the great adage is go to sleep on it. You wake up with the answer. We do because the brain creates all of the different sort of connections at night. Now, one of the things with dreams that they discovered is the emotional part of dreams represents the emotion that you're you're trying to figure out at the time that you go to sleep so if i'm feeling happy i'll have elated dreams if i'm feeling sad i'll have sad dreams if i'm feeling scared i'll have scary dreams now the emotional part of that is produced into the brain through your amygdala your amygdala is 50 percent more active at night it's your emotional center the funny thing is that As we dream, noradrenaline is switched off. So noradrenaline is your fight or flight hormone for your brain. So now I can have all sorts of scary dreams, or I could be dreaming about a funeral that I've been to that day. And as I dream, the emotion is going through the brain at a higher level because the amygdala is switched on, which is our emotional center. But I'm not being traumatized by it. So, I'm not having the adrenaline bang, banging me. I'm not remembering something and then being traumatized by it again. I'm, I'm having it rinsed through my brain. Mm-hmm. So, dreaming is really important for our emotional well being because we rinse the emotion out of memories. We, we're, it's like that thing time heals. Time heals through, through our dreams at night. We dream things and they get less and less and less adrenalized, they get less traumatized what they found is people with PTSD, they don't dream the same way. So when you when you talk to, to people who come back from war, they have the noradrenaline permanently switched on in their brains. So when they're dreaming about an event, it is re-traumatizing. And they, they've realized that they um, can give them noradrenaline suppressants to help with that process. So, you know, sleep science is advancing all the time because we're getting less sleep than we need. So there's a huge investment now by science trying to work out, A, what goes wrong if we don't get enough sleep? And B, how do we solve it?
0: So on the other side of the spectrum, is it possible to get too much sleep?
1: Yeah. The the, the average person needs somewhere between seven and nine hours. If you get less than six, it's an issue. If you get more than 10, it's an issue. And the problem with sleeping too much is that you you you, you tend to generate depression. So either depression causes you to sleep too much, or vice versa. And he, and also anxiety levels go up. So your you, your brain just sort of goes into a different mode. Sleep, sleep is a rejuvenation process, but if you go if you go too deep into it, it there's other things going on. So if you find particularly if you if you're sleeping a long time and you're waking up tired, that's also something you should be going to your GP to look at. Mm. It could be things like anemia. It could be a sleep issue. It could be um, depression. It could be seasonal affective disorder. But certainly if you're sleeping too much or too little, the GP is a good place to start.
0: So I'm glad that I asked that question because we talk so much about people aren't getting enough sleep at all. But then you think about a lot of issues that people are dealing with, like anxiety, like depression, like these mood disorders. And it'd be interesting to see the individuals that are struggling with those. Are they sleeping too much? Are they not getting themselves kind of going with the day? They just let themselves keep going
1: back to sleep. Absolutely. You know, it's about getting the balance right. You know, when people ask me, how do you know if you've had a good night's sleep? It's really if you can wake up without an alarm feeling great. That's That's the archetypal gold standard is to get up seven days a week at the same time, feel great, don't need an alarm.
0: That's everyone's dream. So let's talk about some things that we can do to get the best night's rest possible. Um, Proper sleep protocols, proper sleep hygiene. We talked about the morning when you want to wake up getting outside in the sun, right? 30 minutes, as much exposed skin as possible, vitamin D. What are some things that we can be doing as the day progresses to get ourselves ready for nighttime?
1: A, have it in mind what your day looks like before you start, you know, to, to sort of plan it out that you have got an evening that isn't gonna be chocker. So always sort of in the back of your mind, know how your day is gonna pan out right from the start. When you look at things like caffeine, caffeine is, a, is an important decision. It's the most used drug in the world. And it is super adrenalizing. It gets your brain going quicker, proven. I always, if somebody is having a, a, a sort of difficulty sleeping and they're really sleep deprived, I'd probably ask them to eliminate it to start with and then put it back in later because caffeine sensitivity varies. Some people are awful on it and some people doesn't make a difference. You know, I, I, I know people that can have three cups of coffee, 12 o'clock at night, go to sleep within 15 minutes somebody like myself I've got a far higher sensitivity what I like to do with caffeine is to to drink my cup of coffee at 11 to eleven thirty in the morning there's a reason for that is when when you look at cortisol cortisol peaks at about 11 o'clock and then it starts to drive down so I, I tend to have um, hot water and lemon in the morning or another drink that's that's non-caffeinated And then later on I'll have my cup of coffee and then I'll stop at 12 o'clock. Caffeine's got a a half-life of 12 hours. So if I have a mug of coffee at 12 o'clock, half of it is still active at 12 o'clock at night.
0: Mm.
1: It's a really long, long time. So when you when you're looking at that, it's really important that that you you look at your sensitivity around caffeine and stop at lunchtime. The other thing I always encourage people to do is to take a proper proper rest don't try and work through lunch take a break get outside again get some fresh air switch your head off relax then in the afternoon you know and eat eat regularly eat eat in time then in the afternoon again try and stay off coffee in the evening eat three hours and drink eat three hours before you go to sleep is the limit Drinking two hours before you go to sleep is ideal. I.e., don't drink in the last two hours. Why? Because although alcohol helps you get to sleep, it's a sedative, but it will affect your sleep later on. And then, and then once you've gone through the evening, work out. You know, exercise. You can do exercise quite late, actually. You now, people have this sort of idea that you can't. You can, as long as you don't create too much cortisol as long as you're not in a gym with bright lights, as long as, as, long as it's not adrenalizing. Because one of the things with exercise is it heats your body up. Your body quite likes to go from warm to cold to help you sleep, you know, that sort of decrease in temperature. So if you like eat, if you like exercising in the evening, do it, but don't do it too close to bed. And also, you know, if, if I had a preference, I'd always get somebody to exercise outside in the morning because of that morning light. The other things to consider is what you eat is important with regards to sleep. Probiotics, gut bacteria, when you sleep, they sleep. They go to sleep in 90 minute sleep cycles, the same as us. And if you've got a, a sleep sleep cycle that's all over the place, if your sleep pattern's been all over the place, you will have wiped out all your gut, gut bacteria. So one of the ways of getting back into a good sleep routine is actually to take more gut bacteria to have fermented foods. Um, they're great for sleep, So's magnesium. of people in the Western world are magnesium deficient. Magnesium is one of the minerals that we need for sleep. You can take it 45 minutes before bed or eat lots of nuts and seeds. Vitamin D we talked about is important for sleep. So is vitamin C and the B vitamins. So in general, if you have a a Mediterranean diet with all the different colors of the rainbow, you know, when, when you look at different colored foods, they give you different colored vitamins and minerals. They give you different things. So try and have all the colors of the rainbow, bit of fish, not processed foods, why sugar stops you from sleeping and and really sort of have a a healthy lifestyle and learn to meditate is a big thing. Learning to be able to switch off is a big thing. And finally, learn to breathe through your nose at mouth, nose at night, not your mouth. Um, When you breathe through your nose, you slow your breath down as it goes into the lungs, it's slower down. And you also sort of produce nitrogen oxide. But the slower breath means that your air stays in the lungs more and it increases your blood oxygen levels by about fifteen percent. Mm. That's a huge thing. So what what people have discovered again, it's a more recent thing, is that people who breathe through their nose get a better night's sleep than people who breathe through their mouth.
0: Interesting. Have you looked into the mouth taping?
1: Yep. Yeah, I've done it. It's but pretty also cool. what? What I do also is I realize that I I breathe through my mouth in the day. Mm. So what I do is I've I've taught myself to breathe through my nose in the day by every time I do something that's a regular habit. So if I have a cup of water, make a cup of tea, if I go to the loo, I will always go, right, breathe through your nose. It's called tiny habits. When you link a, a change to a thing that you do regularly, you can create. A new routine out of it because you've got to link it to things that you do a lot of, though. Right. So I'm, I've taught myself to breathe through my nose rather than my mouth, and it makes a big difference. A mouth taping is great. You just put a piece of tape on your mouth, and you, you you know off you go.
0: Yep. And they have them on Amazon. I got the ones that it's like the lips; it just goes right across, and um, it makes a huge difference because I do do the wearables at night: the whoop band or the RR ring, and I've seen huge improvement in my deep sleep just by the nights that i've done the mouth taping and my husband it's, says i'm not snoring as much
1: it's crazy you know it, it, because when you look at prehistoric man he didn't chew what we're chewing he didn't eat what we're eating and the whole of his bite you know people prehistorically didn't have anything other than great teeth when they've looked at them in, in cave cave men's teeth are great ours has all sorts of problems and it's, it's the way the jaw, you know, in some of us, our jaw changes, it gets too small for the tongue, and that creates problems and we end up breathing through our mouths too much.
0: Interesting. So with the sleep hygiene, I loved, don't eat three hours before you go to sleep, have a set bedtime, or at least have a set wake up time, one or the other, both if you can, is ideal um, you don't drink anything two hours before you go to sleep. So again, your body's already kind of doing its digestive process. So you're not having to worry about digesting when it's time to go to sleep. Turning the lights down, using flux on your devices to help omit or at least mitigate some of the blue light, wearing a blue light glasses, and then doing things that are going to be quote unquote boring, reading a boring book or watching a boring show or something that's just gonna help your brain get destimulated. So that it gets prepared for that rest.
1: Really get back into your body rather than your mind. You know, when mindfulness, you know, people, people, people that I sort of go, you know, learn to meditate. I can't meditate. Well, switching off and thinking about something, doing something that distracts you is actually meditation, in Mm -hmm. my mind. It's 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 a way of engaging your brain to be mindful of one thing rather than being fragmented and focused, you know, so focused on something that's adrenalized or fragmented and thinking of lots of different things and dancing around and really going back to that sympathetic system. You know, the parasympathetic likes to to be calm at night and it's really trying to work out how you're going to do that and not expecting to be able to do that and go to sleep because if you're doing that, it means you're sleep deprived. If you can get to sleep within five minutes, you're sleep deprived. The opposite is the case, though. If you're lying in bed for longer than 20 minutes, don't lie there. Get out and start again. There was a very clever experiment done by a Russian scientist called Pavlov. And what he did was he got a group of dogs and he would feed them. And as he fed them, he'd ring a bell. Having done that for a few months, he then would feed them and ring the bell. And then all of a sudden he stopped feeding them with the bell. So he would ring the bell, but no food. No food being cooked, no food being smelled. And the dogs would still salivate. So he'd condition them to expect bell equals sleep. Sorry, bell equals food, mm-hmm. jumping ahead. So what happens to us is what you wanna do is to condition yourself with those triggers so that bed equals sleep. If you're lying in bed awake, your brain's now going bed equals wake. Bed equals trying to sleep and not getting to sleep. So mm. ideally, get out of bed, start again, do something soporific, create a, an area of calm, and then come back to the bedroom when you think you're going to fall to sleep. And certainly, when I, when I do sleep webinars, when I go into companies, we'll do a, we'll do a questionnaire for them all. We'll get them all to fill in their sleep hygiene. Are you sleeping well? How often do you feel tired? What are you doing? Does your partner snore? All of those questions that we just covered. And then we'll ask them, when do you switch your device off? Do you use it in bed? Do you switch it off within half an hour? Do you switch it off in an hour? And then we'll go, okay, here's the people who have the worst sleep. These are the bottom 25% of sleepers in your company. Have a guess how long they have before their phone goes off before sleep. It is less than half an hour. Hmm. Categorically, categorically, if you are using your phone in bed just before you're going to sleep, you'll be sleeping less than somebody who isn't. It's proven. That's crazy. Can't be done.
0: That's crazy. So that's really interesting that you say if you're having a hard time falling asleep 20 minutes plus in bed, like get out of bed. Because for me, I'll just sit there and my mind's still racing and I'm thinking about I'm getting frustrated, anxious. And then 2 a.m. becomes 3 a.m. becomes 4 a.m. And I'm just like, just time to wake up. We're not going to sleep tonight, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I got referred to somebody who was a friend of a friend and he came in about oh, a month ago and he was drinking too much Coca-Cola and all the rest of it. And he's, he expected me. I do I do hypno- hypnosis recordings. I do sort of soporific recordings for people. So I create a bespoke sort of mindfulness type thing with hypnosis. So. He's expecting me to give him some hypnosis and he goes, come on, are we going to do the hypnosis? I went, no point, mate. He goes, what? I go, there's no point. You, hypnosis isn't the solution. He goes, well, how do you mean? I said, look, you go to bed at 12, you get up at six and you spend an hour and a half in bed doing your work. I said, so you can't get seven hours. It doesn't go. I said, even if you would go to bed and go to sleep, you're only getting six. I said, so take a camp bed into the office and just do what you want to do. He said, well, I don't get you. I said, you don't have enough time to sleep. You're, you you know, Doris, Doris had sent him, <laughs> his, his partner had sent him along. And I said, what does, she, what does she want to do? he said, well, she thinks we should downsize. And on the card I'd written in capital letters, downsize. He was running three agencies with half the, uh, advertising agencies with half the staff he was running. And his brain was working at night. He was absolutely wired. He was doing his work at night. He didn't have the time to sleep. Now, the opposite can occur, which is if you're lying in bed worrying about something, A, you try and work out what, whether what you're worrying about can be solved that night by you writing down the solutions. So if you're worried about something, get out of bed, write it down and sort of finish the job or don't. But there's no point lying in bed worrying about something that you can do nothing about right. you may as well get out of bed and do something productive you know do your washing do your ironing you know fix something if you're wide awake you ain't gonna sleep and we know that that's the crazy thing you know what i mean We're, we we get into this zone you think oh man i'm not gonna go to sleep now it's gonna kill me in the morning well it's gonna kill you in the morning anyway you may as well get out of bed and do something productive right and that's the thing so when when i when i sort of get hold of somebody who's sleep deprived and they're going my Fitbits told me i need seven hours i'm getting four i said okay let's aim for four and a quarter though what well let's do four and a quarter and then let's do four and a half and let, let's do four and three quarters so try and build your sleep back up rather than try and break it and reinvent the wheel in one go you can't your body's got used to it you've got stuck in a rut we've got to just ease the rut apart so it's not, you know, we do cope without a lack of sleep. We don't die with a lack of sleep. We just underperform and we wreck our bodies. But if we do it slowly, we can get back into. And, you know, th- there are some things that are dead obvious. You know, the caffeine one. I had, a bloke, I had a bloke the other day. He was looking for a book. We were in a bookstore. He was looking for a book. It's called Why, Why We Sleep. It's by Matthew Walker. It's probably the archetypal sleep reference book. And he's looking for a book on sleep we were in one of the big stores and the, the bloke couldn't sign it. So I gave him the book and I said, look, here you go. I said, what's your sleep like? He said, oh, awful, can't sleep. He said, so, you know, I go to bed, lie awake, and then I have to use a load of coffee in the morning to wake myself up. I said, well, what time, what time do you have, have your last coffee? He goes, about seven o'clock at night. And I'm trying not to laugh. This guy's got a sleep problem. He's buying a book on sleep and he's drinking caffeine at seven o'clock at night to keep him going so he can stay up late. And then he wakes He's just like, okay, mm-hmm. mate, you can have my car, but please just kill the caffeine. Yeah, but I can't. Why not? Oh, I love caffeine. It keeps me going. Yeah, but that's the issue. And a lot of us know, a lot of us do know what the problem is, but we can't resist it. A lot of us do know that I'm playing on a game at night in bed, but I can't resist it. A lot of us know that we should put the work down. A lot of us know that we shouldn't have that last cup of coffee, but we do it. And that's the other thing is that when I look at sleep, adults who have sleep problems weren't sold sleep as children. They weren't taught about it. They weren't informed about it. They weren't encouraged about it. Some of them were told that their bedroom was a punishment area. You know, you've been a naughty boy going to bed. Go to your bedroom. What? Okay, I'm now in. Now, when I go to bed, my brain thinks I'm being punished. Also, have a guess what? You've been great. You can stay up late to watch your favorite program. I've just given you sleep deprivation as a, re- a reward. Or you've been great. Have a sweet. I've just given you sugar as a reward. You know, we, we're educated that sleep is somehow something that you have to do, but you don't really want it. And then you can have a bonus. You can have less sleep. You've been a great boy. You have less sleep. What? So we have all of these mixed messages that we're given as children. We're not sold it. We're not taught about it. We're not encouraged to do it. We're resistant to it because our big brother gets less of it than we do and goes to bed later. Or, you know, I've got a problem doing it because I want to be on my Game Boy a bit more. The only way around it is to be really clever with our children and sell them sleep talk about what it does talk about why you need it and talk about their dreams really make sleep exciting make their bedroom theirs their haven but don't let them play in bedrooms never let a child play toys in bedrooms because again you're associating fun and excitement with the bedroom try and try and get them out of their bedroom before they go to sleep but then go back in so if you've got a teenager don't don't let them sort of Work all night and then expect to sort of go to bed straight away. Try and get them out so they've got a bit of a wind down routine. But certainly, if we want our children to have as bad a sleep as we do, if we keep on role modelling what we do, they will do. Mm. So again, it's our boundaries. It's about how do we look after ourselves so that they role model themselves on looking at us. Is my my, one of my favourite conversations was was around. I was doing some um, couple some uh, coaching for my daughter. And I was saying to the therapist I was using, I'd split up from my mum, I said, yeah. My daughter says that, that and that, and she tells me to do that and that. And she says, you can't expect me to do it if you, you're not doing it yourself. And the therapist goes, well, she's right. And I go, yeah, but I don't do that, do I? And she said, you do exactly that. Mm. So I said to my daughter, I was drinking a, <laughs> was drinking a bottle of diet Coke at the time. I said, Right, right, sweetheart, we're now going to do by the examples and everything's fair and what, what I do, you can do. She said, yeah. I'm having a bottle of Diet Coke then, Dad. Uh, okay. So Diet Coke had to go instantly. I never drank another bottle of Diet Coke ever again in my entire life. My daughter was six. Oh. She's now 17. I have not had Diet Coke for 11 years because I don't want her to drink it. And I think that's what we've got to do with sleep. We've got to role model, good sleep hygiene, and then our kids will just follow us.
0: My favorite quote that you put, um, was this? And I wanted to go ahead and close it out with this because I think it's so powerful. You said, my belief is that sleep plays a huge part in our lives. It affects how we feel, how we behave, and our ability to perform, whatever the age. I believe it is a fundamental pillar of physical, mental, and emotional wellness. My aim is to help you feel more energized by learning how to improve the quality of your sleep to leave you feeling fresh, boosted, and ready for your day, whatever that may look like. And I think that's so powerful. Sleep is so important for optimal wellness. Sleep is so important for helping us function at our best. And like you said, for the parents that are listening, we have to model good sleep in order to expect our children to have good sleep hygiene. Dave, how can we stay in touch with you? Where can we go? If we want to reach out to you, ask you some of our sleep questions, maybe have you do one of these amazing bespoke hypnotherapy recordings for us. How can we stay in touch?
1: I've got a website called thesleepsite.co.uk, um, and if anybody that's listening to this wants a free, um, just a chat to see you know what 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 they need, what whether I can help or not, you can have a free free half hour with me anytime.
0: I love that! Amazing. So just go ahead and reach out to Dave Gibson. You can find him on Instagram as well. Dave, can you go ahead and leave us what your Instagram is?
1: At Dave Sleep Expert.
0: There you go. Dave, sleep expert. You can find him on Instagram. Send him a DM. Let him know that you listen to the Failing Forward podcast for your free 30 minute consultation to help you improve your sleep. And you can also find him at thesleepsite.co.uk, which is his blog on all things sleep. Dave, thank you so much for being here with us today on the Failing Forward podcast. We appreciate you. In good sleep, everyone. Have a great rest of your day.
1: Thanks so much.